It is important and refreshing to receive a journal like Sources. I rely on Sources for a deeply informed and well-curated collection of essays responding to current events and issues in contemporary Jewish life. Hi, I'm Claire Sufrin, editor of Sources, a journal of Jewish ideas. We get in-depth information from noted scholars, often in dialogue with one another, which is not to say always in agreement. In the newly released spring issue, scholars examine the theme of Jewish life tomorrow, reimagining key Jewish concepts for the present and future. Read, reflect, and subscribe to the award-winning journal at sourcesjournal.org. My name is Daniil Hartman, and I'm the president of the Shalom Hartman Institute, and this is For Heaven's Sake, a podcast from the Hartman Institute's I Engage Project. Our theme for today is the new criminalization of Israel and the characterization of Israel as an apartheid state. This is the second session um, on this theme. In each edition of For Heaven's Sake, Yossi Klein Halevi, senior research fellow at the Hartman Institute here in Jerusalem and myself, discuss the current issue central to Israel and the Jewish world, and then Ilana Steinheim, director of the Hartman Faculty in North America, explores with us how classical Jewish sources can enrich our understanding of the issue. This issue of the criminalization of Israel and the characterization of Israel as an apartheid state is hitting in a way that it, it's, it hasn't hit before. Because unlike the Zionism as racism campaign of the 1970s, the current delegitimization is being led by some of our former allies and also segments within the Jewish community. And in this session, that's where I want to focus. Let me, let me start by just putting forth what is possibly one of the more difficult, troubling statistical um, results. In a recent survey, almost a third of Jewish voters believe that Israel is an apartheid state. And 25% of voters believe that Israel is committing genocide or ethnic cleansing amongst Palestinians. This, I don't know if this is unprecedented, but this is a, this is a moment that, that we have to try to make sense of and talk about. And uh, Yossi, where, where, where do these numbers find you? And what do they do to you? Danielle, nothing has caused me more anguish than the developments that are happening in the American Jewish community in relation to Israel that this poll represents. I don't know what to do. I, I honestly, 25% of American Jews really believe that we're committing genocide and apartheid. Has, has apartheid now become nor a normative part of the American Jewish conversation. You know, before we get into a conversation, a Hartman conversation about boundaries and the legitimacy of criticism and, and uh, red lines and the philosophy of, of community, before we get there, I, I, I'm shattered. I, I have devoted, as have you, we, you know, we've spent decades of our lives to nurturing the American-Jewish-Israeli relationship, to trying to, to turn this relationship uh, into, into 
bring it to the next level of maturation on both sides to get Israelis to respect to respect the integrity of, of the American Jewish experience, to get American Jews to understand the inner experience of, of Israel. And then I look at these numbers and I don't know what to say anymore. I don't know what to do. I look at my life, I look at the last 40 years that I've devoted to this and um, I'm in mourning, Daniil. How about you? What what is this do to you? First of all, I really appreciate the way you wanted to start and say, let's just talk about how we feel. Don't talk about the other, you know, we'll analyze it. I, I'm wondering whether I'm, I'm I'm in such a different emotional place. See, I don't do shatter. Like, I don't I never let myself go there, but I hear you and I can understand. I I, I don't know if I have a single pessimistic bone in my body. I look at this. And I'm, I'm not shattered, I'm incredulous. It is something that is just incoherent. And so whenever I hit incoherent, I get busy. But I don't want to do busy yet because I really appreciate saying, let's stop, let's not solve it or talk about it. But I never feel bad for what was done. I always get motivated to ask, what do we need to do? And what I feel at this moment is the enormity of the challenge, the enormity of the challenge. Um, I feel that these numbers, there's something happening, something really wrong. You know, apartheid, I could say, you know, you don't really mean apartheid, but genocide, like, yeah, I meant genocide in the sense of a little, like, it, like this, you, know, I could, you know, I could philosophize as I did the last time about apartheid, they mean discrimination, but like, Genocide? You know, really? Like, like what do you, I never mean genocide. I meant to live, really? You know, every generation of Jews, it's never been simple to be Jewish. And we live in one of the most privileged times in Jewish history. And uh, I wouldn't pick any other moment in Jewish history. So I, I hear your feeling of shattered. I, I just, in a certain sense, I know this is crazy, but I feel energized. I feel energized because this is, this this is insane. And, and it's the genocide one that gets me. It's really, this is how you see, and you're not just seeing Israel, this is how you see me, that you could say this about me. We have, you see, you know, what did you say? You gave 40 years? Okay, there's another 40 years. Yeah, we got to work because there's a huge mountain that needs to be climbed. There's something going wrong here. Really, really wrong. The wrong is not just in Israel. You know, I do, and I'm gonna come back to it. Don't worry, that's my mantra. What is Israel doing wrong? And how do we reclaim a moral high ground? Don't worry, audience, I'll get there again. And I'm gonna keep on saying it until every single Jew in America talks that way and every single Jew in Israel talks that way. And I'm, I'm frankly not gonna give up until I win. Cause that's like when you're not, a, when, you're, when there's no pessimism and there's only optimism, you just, you're like on every, you just never stop. But still Yossi, this, this is something that is, is unexplainable. Um, is it the product of this level of, is it ignorance, unfamiliarity, distance? I don't know. But when I see surveys like this, our challenge is not to get depressed. Our challenge is to double and triple our efforts. But does, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I want to say that it's one of the reasons why I love you. 
that and that and that you really are are a a rock, Daniel. You're you I, you you are, and and I feel it here at the institute. I feel it in our friendship, and I feel it in your voice. Which I, even when I disagree with you, I so much appreciate disagreeing with you. And uh, and you know, we we each of us obviously we have our own emotional trajectories, uh, which may have, as you and I have discussed often in the past, may have something to do with the fact that you're the son of a philosopher, and I'm the son of a Holocaust survivor. So I mean, this uh, you know, it plays out in different ways. Uh, I do I do get shattered, and I I don't stay in that place because I am the son of a survivor. I'm not the son of a of, of someone who was a victim. He actually was a survivor, my father. And so in the end, in the end, you and I come to a very similar place through very different emotional uh, paths. And, and I agree with you. This is, most of all, this is a time for work. And there's, I mean, that's, that's who we are. That's, that's, that's what the Hartman Institute is. Our DNA, is the American Jewish Israeli relationship. And there's no other institution in the Jewish world that can do this, that can, that can do the heavy lifting uh, and the deep thinking. Uh, but I do feel that every so often I have to, I have to just admit, I, um, it's hard, it's hard. And I, I feel in some sense that Tisha B'Av this year didn't, didn't fully end. I feel that. I'm in mourning. I am in mourning. So first of all, thank you. <laughs> we love each other, and that's why this is such a nice, this is such an honor to do. Um, you know what I'm most frightened of, Yossi? I'm not frightened of this statistic. I'm most frightened about Jews giving up on Jews. I'm most frightened that, the, that, that this discussion will be, ah, oh, we lost this group of people. Stop trying to reach them. And the truth is, here I'm going to channel my Yossi. I can understand them. <laughs> it is insane. Genocide? Like, in which universe could you use? You want to use sometimes there was a war crime. You, you, there's so many words, but genocide? It's just like, really? But I am so frightened because I feel this is what's happening. You know, parents can't give up on their kids. But there are so many Jews today who are just simply willing to give up on other Jews. You know, I don't, I'm not going to speak Lashon Hara. It's not that I don't like Lashon Hara. I'm human. We all love Lashon Hara. <laughs> but this isn't Lashon Hara because this is something that she said, and I'm just quoting her. I want to present what she said. And um, you want to talk about when I feel, sh I feel shattered when I hear that. Carolyn Glick at a recent um, conference about Israel diaspora affairs held by an Israeli newspaper. You, you, were, you and I were both at that conference. And um, she um, was talking about the future of the relationship between Israel and the diaspora, principally Israel and liberal North American Jews. And this is what she speaks in Hebrew to Israelis and says to them, the problem of North American Jews is not their criticisms of Israel. Because you want to know something? All their criticisms do not grow out of anything that Israel is doing. Their criticisms are growing out of the fact that they're assimilating and they're assimilating into liberal America. And I wanna tell you, she said, that's good news because they're gonna assimilate 
And she quotes, just like the criticism of Israel is identical to intermarriage, they're assimilating. And she said, in a generation, they'll be gone. And American Jews will be much smaller. Most of them will be Orthodox. And in brackets, God willing. And then they'll be, they'll be as difficult as Australian Jews. They might have a voice, but they're not going to be relevant. And then we could be free to walk away from them. We don't have to answer them anymore. We don't have to be compelled by them. Their criticisms are going to be gone. And then we Israelis will be free to connect to the conservatives who are our only true ally. Because the world is divided between the progressives and the conservatives. We can never win with the progressives. But we're still trying. You know why? Because of the Jews. And when you get a survey like this, she, she's not shattered. This, this is a celebration. This is just one more self-validating fact on the journey of walking away from Jews. And I want to tell you, Yossi, I was raised this way. My most significant commandment in my life is don't walk away from your people. You just don't. That's, that's for me. You stop doing Judaism. This is not Judaism. When you walk away, it's like I was raised and I, I remember this. You know, there's certain moments in your life that you remember and you never forget. And one of these moments when I was 14 years old and uh, an ultra-Orthodox teacher of mine um, in yeshiva told all of us, hi, yeshiva kids, you are part of the, of the army of God and it's forbidden for you to go into the army. And I come home that night and my school was from 6.30 in the morning to 8 o'clock at night. I would come home about a quarter to nine. And I went to my Abba, to my father, and I said, Abba, you know, we just made Aliyah. This is the greatest honor. And my teacher is telling me that Jewishly I'm not supposed to serve. My father says, Daniel, come sit down. I have to teach you something. And we open up Tractate Brachot. And the Tractate Brachot, the rabbis ask, why did God say to Moses at the golden calf, go down? Why did you tell him go down? Now, the simple meaning in the Bible is go down. And God literally says, I want to destroy the people and start all over again with you. The rabbis turn it on its head and they come up with the following line, which if I have a shahadat, if I have a principle of faith, it's this, where God said to Moses, Lech led, klum God says to Moses, I have given you greatness. I put you up here on this mountain for one reason, only for the sake of this people. And now that they're sinning, like, you're of no interest to me. And he tells Moses to go down, and he says, there's no Torah. There's no Judaism. So, you know, at different moments in our history, we've had to deal with heretics. At different moments in our history, we've had to deal with people who, who are turning away. And now, this is our test, Yossi. You know, I hear you. You have to be shattered or mourn to feel the enormity. But this is our moment, Yos. This is our moment when we're going to be tested. Okay, I know you know how to fight for Jews when someone wants to kill them. Something is happening. Are you going to celebrate this moment just like the ultra-Orthodox celebrate reform? Like, is that it? Are we the lovers of Israel? Ah, I told you, American Jews. And I want to tell you, there's such a temptation. There's such a temptation. And that's why you're, you know, even though, as you know, you and I sometimes disagree, when you say you mourn, that's where our souls meet. Because when you mourn, you now have something to do. You're not celebrating. 
and you're not denigrating and you're not, you're starting with that moment of mourning. I don't want to be in a place of anger. I, I, I want, I much prefer to be in a place of mourning because a place of mourning is a place of love. And, uh, and that's what I feel for American Jewry. I feel, first of all, I feel enormous gratitude to the community that raised me. I feel enormous appreciation for the, the values and the generosity of American Jewry, the decency. And, and the more time that I've spent in Israel, the more I appreciate where I come from. And, uh, and I, I am fully committed to, to this relationship. But this is it. There, there, are, there are questions. There are questions. So let's ask, let's take it. You know, for me, I'm a dual citizen. I am an American Jew. And half of my life, even though I live here, is embraces that and, and, and knows that Judaism as I, as I live today would be inferior if it wasn't for American Jew. I'm, I'm both, I'm an Israeli Jew and American Jew, and I am not gonna let us walk away from each other. We are just not gonna do that. And these numbers, I, I, I frighten me because so many people use them, not as the way you mourn, but as a triumphalist moment of, you see, I told you so. So let's go to, let's leave the numbers for a moment and go, much deeper, or not even deeper, go to where, where, where the problem sometimes get even, gets even more acute. There was a famous, just a few weeks during the Gaza war, there was a famous letter written by 90 students, signed by 90 rabbinic students, which caused huge uproar. And they were attacked. And what are we supposed to do? But in many ways, symbolizing for those who are ready to check out, Look at the future of American Judaism, the rabbinic students. It's not, it's not the uneducated. It's not the person, the it's not the child in Haggadah who doesn't know. It's rabbinic students, 90. You know what percentage that is? Let me read to you a section of what they said, Yossi. And, and I want you um, to now go beyond mourning to what do we do, okay? And, and, and I love the way you framed, uh, and I really appreciate your framing them today. This is a section from the letter. And by the way, one of the interesting things about the letter is they never use the word apartheid. They don't go there, but they say as follows. This year, American Jews have been part of a racial reckoning in our community. Our institutions have been reflecting and asking, how are we complicit with racial violence? Jewish communities, large and small, have had teach-ins and workshops held vigils and commission studies. And yet so many of those same institutions are silent when abuse of power and racist violence erupt in Israel and Palestine. So many of us ignore the day-to-day -day indignity that Israeli military and police forces enact on Palestinians and sit idly by as Israel upholds two separate legal systems for the same region. And in the same breath, we are shocked by escalations of violence as those these things are not a part of the same dehumanizing status quo. The current reality in the streets of a land our tradition deems holy necessitates a spiritual crisis. A spiritual crisis requires more than prayer. It requires heartbreak, which demands reflection, but then which also demands action. In the middle of the war in Gaza, this letter is put out. Um, is it the timing? Is it the content? Well, who cares? 
what, what's, are they mourning just like you or is there something else happening here, Wilson? I could live with that letter. I could even live with the timing of that letter if there was some acknowledgement if, of what my reality as an Israeli is like. If they were seeing me, if they were acknowledging me, that letter has erased my experience, the experience of the overwhelming majority of Israeli Jews. We're, we, we don't exist in that letter. Yossi, can I read you something? I want to read yes. you something. The letter starts, blood is flowing in the streets of the Holy Land. Fires are burning on the hills of Jerusalem and buildings are smoldering in Gaza. Violence is spilling onto the streets of Lod and Haifa. With each refresh of the news and each rocket that falls, new images of terror sear themselves into our minds. We find ourselves in tears. Is it really they don't see us? Does that count enough even though the rest follows Yossi? What I need from my American Jewish partners are two things. I need, first of all, an understanding of what I'm up against in the Middle East, what it means to be a Jewish state in the Middle East. That's the first thing that I need. I need an acknowledgement that the Palestinian national movement has never accepted my legitimacy here to this day in all of its factions. That's the first thing I need. When I hear that from American Jews, then the next thing that I know. Oh, so if, I, if I want to emphasize this for a moment, so your comeback to me is, and I hear you, and I understand that I want to really, I want to clarify, I want to put it in its place, is when you're saying that you want, they, you want them to hear you, it's not that to hear your suffering. No, no, I'm not. It's not that they're, you know, the old one, oh, you're worried about Palestinian deaths, and why aren't you worrying about Jews? No, 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 exactly, because this is the point you're making, and that's why I want to articulate. I want to, I want to give it a place because it's important. It's different because there's a lot of things get mixed together. You're saying that there's that that any condemnation of Israel's actions, um, which you might share or not share, have to be put into the context, not of the fact that there's missiles, but the context of of the continual delegitimization. And not to have that. Exactly. You know, every story, it depends where you start the story, right? You are trying to thread a needle. And, and, and what, I wanted to stop it because I appreciate the difference, the nuance that you were trying to put forth. I, I so much appreciate your lingering on this point. I'm not looking for sympathy. You know what? I have, I have the most powerful army in the Middle East. I've got the Iron Dome. Don't worry. Don't worry about me. I'll take care. I'll take care of the rockets. I want you to understand. You want them to understand you, not to prove that they care that Jews are dying. Here it is. You're being the philosopher now. You want the intellect. You want the the intellectual statement of the complexity. Yes. And you assume the emotional affinity. You're not questioning their emotional affinity. It's something else. That's really an important distinction. Yes. Don't buy in to the current progressive discourse that paints Israel as the unequivocal aggressor. It's more complicated, and I need to hear that from, from, from Americans. Now, if the story doesn't start in 2021, no. you want them to say the story starts in 1947. 
In other words, you wanted to start yes. with us. You yes. want to tell, okay, yes. fair enough. Got it. And, and what I also need from American Jews is what much of that letter is. I need partners who are going to hold us here to the standards that we pretend to, to hold ourselves to, but don't really. I need American Jews from their distance to, to uphold the integrity of the Jewish people. And, you know, when you're caught in the middle of a day-to-day -day conflict, as we are, as we've been from day one of our, of our existence, it's very hard to hold on to a morally complicated conversation to hold, to hold yourself to the standards that you need to, to apply. So I need, I need American Jews to be part of this conversation. I, I need them to remind me what I'm not seeing, but I can only hear them, Daniil. I can only if, hear them. If you feel that they, that they hear you first, I hear you. That, that they understand my situation. You know what I feel about that letter, honestly? It's not a letter to me. It's a letter to the to their progressive allies. That's who this is. That's who this is directed to. Interesting. You know, I made a mistake, Yossi. Um, I read about uh, this letter in the newspaper, and then I heard all of the debate and the condemnation. And the mistake I made was to actually read the letter. <laughs> I actually read the letter. Now it's interesting. You, you said that I'm okay with the timing. Most of the people are attacking that somehow, whenever we go to war, we're supposed to, this is not the time. This is not the time. And we, we get you always on the timing. But as you said, when is the time right? When you read this letter, it was a, it was a cry. And you know, I don't think this was a letter to their progressive friends. I think this was a, a, a cry to themselves. I think this was a letter of warning just like you, Yossi. But it's a morning that says, I have to wake up the next morning, we have to begin to do something. I think it was a letter saying to the American Jewish community, we have another conversation that you're not engaging in enough. And so what we have here, Yossi, are two different, we have 25% saying genocide, 30% saying apartheid. And the next generation of young Jewish leaders who are saying, I don't want to talk about genocide. And I don't want to talk about apartheid, but I want to tell you something is really wrong here. Could we talk about it? We have to do something about it. We have this, this, we can't allow this to continue. And in many ways, I feel that, you know, this is the fine line. Because when, you know, we could put all of that in the same place, the rabbinic students, the young people, and we could put them all in a, in a, in a little box and we could say, oh, they're losing and blah, blah, look how far it's going, American Jews. But there's really different statements going on here. I think that's very important. And we have to hear, and one last point, I said this the, the other day on a session here at the Institute in our summer program, where so many of, the, of, of you know, now we have to talk about us, the older people. <laughs> it's a new place for us, yes. Uh, we, the older people, you know, we look back and we say, oh, they just don't get it. And oh, we got, you know, this is just a disaster. And for so many of them, I feel that what you really want to do is we say, you know, we have no one to pass this on to. We better stay around for the next 70 years because the next generation is lost. 
I think part of what we have to do is we have to hear these letters and we have to sit down with them and we have to hear the nuance that they, you know, even if it's nuance that we feel is not nuanced enough, there was a real attempt here. And part of our challenge is how do we hear the way different generations mourn? They love Israel and they're mourning some. And so many people are going to say, ah, you're criticizing, you don't love, you're, you know, you're not committed, you're blah. This, we have to hear the different voices of mourning. Do you see love in this letter? Unbelievable love. I see love, I see mourning, I see sadness, and I see care. I see a call to action. I think the challenge is, how do we maintain a Zionism in North America, which is built on one value system, and the experience of an Israel, which is very, very different. And the gaps, are the gaps sustainable? Does Israel have to be like America to be loved by, accepted by Americans? You know, our, our, our colleague Michal Biton speaks up in our IEDH seminar and says, I think one of the real responsibilities is um, that the future relationship is not on insisting that we're gonna be the same, but by accepting that there are multiple moral ways of doing something and that Americans have to get over the notion that they have a, a hegemony on morality and decency. And she wants to push that question. You know, we're debating how far does it, but I think this is a letter which is saying, I, want, I was raised to love Israel. I, I am the next generation of people who are gonna carry the relationship to Israel. I'm the ones you're calling on to say, a North American Zionist, who, who am I? I'm here. I'm telling you something's broken here. How much longer we could sustain it? What do we need to do? This is a, a, a cry of angst of not knowing what to do. Let's take a short break. And when we return, Ilana Steinheim will join us. Hi, my name is Michelle Biderstone, and I want to tell you about an exciting, groundbreaking curriculum we are launching at the Shalom Hartman Institute. Foundations for a Thoughtful Judaism is based on four decades of the best Hartman scholarship on the foundational concepts of Judaism and Jewish life. This new four-volume curriculum explores the most compelling questions in Jewish thought and makes them accessible to all audiences. It's not a How-To Judaism 101 course, but instead serves as a complement for those looking to grapple with philosophical questions at the heart of Jewish tradition. Specifically, Jewish peoplehood, faith, ethics, and practice. To find out more on how you can bring foundations for a thoughtful Judaism to your community, please visit shalomhartman.org foundations. Ilana, it's great to be with you. At this moment, where there's so many different types of criticisms going on, and where they're all getting locked together. Do you have anything, anything within our Tola that, that could help us at this moment? So here's where I wanna go. We can describe ignorance and ascribe ignorance to people on both sides of these debates, right? You can say people on the right don't know what they're talking about. They don't know the facts. People on the left don't know what, they don't know the facts. What I'm more interested in is among the people who are very committed, who are very engaged, who really know the facts. And it's actually not about the facts, it's about ideology and they have a differing ideology. And so what I wanna look at is I wanna look at 
a rabbinic understanding um, that I think really illuminates this moment in the conversation about Israel within the American Jewish community. And it is from Leviticus Rabbah or Vayikra Rabbah, um, section four, subsection six. And it goes like this. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai taught, to what can the people of Israel be compared? To the case of people who are on a ship together, one of whom takes a borer or like a drill and begins boring beneath their own place on the ship. That person's fellow travelers say to them, what are you doing? And the person who's boring a hole in the ship says, what does it matter to you? I'm just drilling a hole under where I am. And they said, no, 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 the water is going to come up and flood the ship for all of us. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this metaphor recently, because I think that within American Jewry, you have two very loud camps and then a bunch of people in the middle, right? Let's, let's call these loud camps, you know, progressive left and right-wing establishment. Not that the whole establishment is right-wing, but right-wing establishment. So you've got on the progressive left, people going over and saying, you're sinking our ship. Zionist, Zionism is sinking our ship. Why? Because you're selling our soul. There are deep ethical problems. There are Palestinians who are on our ship and they're endangered. You are in bed with fascists. You're sinking our ship. What are you doing? And the response, by the way, is not, oh, who cares? I'm just boring a hole under my, it's, what do you mean? I'm saving our ship. What are you talking about? I'm completely saving our ship. And then you have people who are more establishment and maybe more right-wing, but establishment say, <laughs> you're sinking our ship. You're on the wrong team. You're playing for the wrong team. You're endangering us. You're endangering Israeli lives, the state of Israel standing in the world, playing into the hands of anti-Semites. And you're the one endangering our ship. And the response is, no, I'm saving the ship. I'm not endangering the ship, I'm saving the ship. And this, to me, this ideological conflict, I, I, I don't think it's enough to do a, these and these are the words of the living God on this one. I think it's a, a really difficult conflict. And I've just been thinking about where do we go with this conflict? It's clear to me that we're probably gonna see, or this is what I think we're gonna see in the next whatever number of years with an American jury. There are gonna be places where it's gonna be radical compromise, where we just say, you know what? We're all gonna have Passover Seder together. It doesn't matter what you think about Israel. Israel's not the front burner of the conversation right now. We're all, we're gonna radically compromise and, and coexist here. And then you're gonna see places where there's just gonna be a split. It's gonna be these organizations, these institutions, these people for this particular issue or for this particular context, we're gonna be split. And that's actually, there's gonna be a Jew versus Jew. And I'm not saying blood in the streets, but I am saying there's gonna be real life consequences. People who are fighting for conditioning aid people to Israel, people are fighting against conditioning aid to Israel, like all the things that come with a split. And then I think we're gonna see a third piece, which is a strengthening of the people who say, no, 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 we wanna re-engage a center. We wanna re-engage a center and a center needs to move. And maybe we have values that we have that really animate this center. Let's say a value, Zionism is a value in there. Justice for Jews and Israelis is a value in there. Justice for Palestinians is a value in there. And 
the re-engaging the center, of course, that's not so easy because we're all about polarization right now. Everybody either wants the split or let's not talk about it. But the re-engaging the center is a critical part of these three things, right? Meaning the people who say, we don't want to blow this whole thing up. We don't want to drill a hole under the boat. We want to work together. And I see, I actually see necessity for all three of those in different places. So that's, that's where I'm at with all this. So to me, it's not about the letter and it's not about Ben and Jerry's and it's not, it's, it's actually about how the Jewish community in America is going to move forward. And I think we're going to see different strategies in different places. Thank you, Lara. Let's play for a minute with that, with the boat analogy. Now, at the end, you were speaking about splits within the American Jewish community, but um, I, I want to put forth something that maybe we need to think about. You're right, for some people, you know, you're boring a hole, and for some people, you're saving the ship, right? Um, where it gets even more complicated, what happens when I say that you're boring a hole and you say I'm boring the hole, and each one is saying what the other one thinks is making the hole, the other one, they themselves see it as saviness. But I'm wondering whether part of, at this moment, we have to recognize that we're not in the same ship. Maybe we're in the same Navy. <laughs> Maybe we're in the same ocean. Maybe we're connected somehow. I'm not saying we're not connected. But that part of, I think, Zionism in North America is only going to work if it's authentic to Zionism in North America. And it's going to have to answer to North America's issues. And Zionism in Israel is going to have to be authentic to Israel. And we're not the same, and our experiences aren't the same, and our politics might not be the same, and our sensibilities, and, 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 and just even living in different places, that this notion that we're on the same ship creates a tension which might be unnecessary. As I, you know, I wrote in my uh, PhD thesis many years ago, difference doesn't undermine social cohesion. Attitudes towards difference undermines uh, social cohesion. Maybe we have to accept that a good Zionist in North America is not going to be one who agrees with Israel. Maybe they have to be like Yossi. They have, I, have, I need to know that you understand me. Then you could be different, but at least you understand some core part that's shaping you. An Israeli has to understand the core part that's shaping a liberal American Jew. They have to understand that that means I have to say you're not crazy. I understand that you're not crazy. And that means as an Israeli, I have to accept that, that you're going to be a liberal Jew. And I appreciate that, that the pluralism starts not with where you're going, but they understand you. And then accept that, Ilana, that we're in two different boats. And that the question then will be, are the boats sailing together? Or are the boats sailing away from each other? Using that same analogy. I'm finding that for myself very helpful, right? Yeah, I, look, I think it's interesting. It's, it's funny how sometimes a metaphor can actually open things up. It's actually really interesting as you were talking. I think part of my question is, and this is why I talk about a center reasserting itself, is I think we actually are gonna see anti-Zionism normalized, liberal Zionism hopefully strengthened and right-wing Zionism strengthened. And I think the question of what is gonna be that dividing line between liberal Zionism and anti-Zionism. And I think that really is a difficult conversation that Jews on the left are having right now. 
I think that's where I ask myself, well, wait a minute, is, is, is moving to different ships helpful? Um, and I, I think it's a, I think it's an important question. And that's why I think some places where you compromise and, and put Israel on the back burner and some places where you really split and some places where, where you create a bridge, you can talk to both sides, but I don't think, like, I think even the analogy, it's like, well, we actually have to see how far we can straddle before we're not exactly in the same Navy. That's correct. But we don't have to have a notion that togetherness requires of us to be in the same ship. You know, it's like with your, you now, you know, you have little kids. You know, my kids have moved out already. You know, now I did see, you know, part of me says, you know, my kids leaving me is betrayal. You know, you should be living, get married, live in my house. I want everybody under the same, you know, and part of me in some obscene fantasy would love the old. I want all my kids to live, like build another floor. Totally duplex. You know, I really want it, but like I'm crazy, you know, like, Abba, I love you, but you know, needing my space and being different from you doesn't mean less love, but then you're right. Just like as your kids grow older, you have to work much harder on keeping the family and the love and the relationships together. Six to 10,000 miles away with serious ideological differences, seeing each other as creating holes is gonna make it complicated. I think the last thing that I wanna say is I've been talking to rabbis a lot about this issue. And I think because we're an institute that really deals with leaders on the ground, I think we're very poised to take this on is essentially what I'm going to say. And I, it's a long adaptive project. And I, I think we're poised to take it on is what I'm, you know, that's, that's going to be where my optimism comes in. I'm less of an optimist than you or than Yossi is becoming, <laughs> but I'm, there's work. There's work to do. There's work to do. Thank you. Yossi, last thoughts about this? Yeah, I'm going to go back to something that you said earlier. Uh, which is, there has been no greater time in history to be a Jew than this moment. No more exciting time. And one of the reasons, one of the main reasons for that is we've never had a as strong and as vibrant a sovereignty as we have now. And we've never had as strong and vibrant a diaspora community as we have in America. We can't allow those who would delegitimize either project, who would dismiss the significance of either project to dominate Jewish discourse. That's our job. That's the job of the Machon, of the Hartman Institute. And I think that that's really the conversation that we've been trying to, to model today. Beautiful place to end. Yossi, Ilana, thank you very, very much. For heaven's sake, as a product of the Shalom Hartman Institute, it was produced by David Steve Kelman and edited by Tali Cohen. Transcripts of our shows are now available on our websites typically a week after an episode airs. To find them and to learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We want to know what you think about the show. You can rate and review us on iTunes to help more people discover the show. You can also write to us at for heaven's sake at shalomhartman.org. Subscribe to our show in the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, SoundCloud, Audible, and everywhere else podcasts are available Look forward to you joining us next time. Lila Tov from Jerusalem.